It wasn't fun for me, and that wasn't what I really wanted to thrive in. I was just, I was done. I told my wife, I said, I'm, I'm quitting. I'm leaving the corporate world after a couple of weeks because I was like, holy crap, did I just throw everything I, I've been working for for the last 14 years away? And I literally just walked into work and I, and I talked to um, my CEO and I basically said, I'm done. I'm out of here. Picked up my bags the same, same day. But this was a really telling sign for me because... Welcome to the Seven Hats Podcast. My name is Yuval Selleck. And I've been on the entrepreneurial roller coaster for over 20 years. I've experienced it all throughout my journey the grind, burnout, failure, and ultimately, success. The turning point for me was realizing that building a successful company is meaningless if you neglect the other significant areas of your life. So today, I'm inviting you to join me on an adventure through those seven areas, what I call seven hats. Every week, my guests and I will drop valuable insights and pearls of wisdom, helping, motivating, and inspiring you to get your seven hats in order and deliver real impact with meaning. So let's get going. Welcome, Seven Hatters. In this episode, we speak with Pradeep Sangha and dive deep into hat numbers one, two, three, four, and seven, the soul, athlete, servant, entrepreneur, and the seeker, as we discover how men can have it all while riding the entrepreneurial roller coaster. Widely known as the strategist for businessman, Pradeep has achieved international acclaim as a business strategist, personal advisor, business consultant, and career strategist for high-performing entrepreneurs and executives. An award-winning author and speaker, Pradeep is the foremost authority on teaching men to experience life completely at their highest potential. If you're a man, this episode is for you. And for you women out there, if you're interested in understanding men a little bit better, this episode is also for you. So with that in mind, let's tune in to our alpha male and discover how to become the complete man. Let's welcome Pradeep to the Seven Hats. Pradeep, welcome to the Seven Hats. Thank you for having me. Of course. You know, your story is so interesting, and it therefore caught my eye. I, too, got disillusioned in corporate life, which is a very common experience. But I didn't share many of the other types of experiences that you describe having. And yet, somehow, your story was deeply relatable. So I'm excited to get into that in a moment. You also are pretty unusual in the breadth of your viewpoints and your focus on holistic, on the holistic approach to life. And that, of course, shares some similarities with how I look at things and the reason that I created the seven hats. So with that in mind, I want to dig deeper into four of the seven hats today and in this order. So hat number one, self-love. Hat number two, health and wellness. Hat number three, relationships. Hat number seven, the spirit. So we can understand your take on how they affect hat number four, the entrepreneur. And specifically for us guys. But before we get to all of that, we should find out who you are. So let's start at the beginning. Where were you born and how would you describe your childhood? Well, I was born in a small town called Kelowna, British Columbia in Canada. That's in the western part of Canada. 
It's about 400 kilometers east of Vancouver. So most people are familiar with Vancouver, Canada, but not so much with Kelowna, Canada. But it was basically a very small town. My parents immigrated from India in the early 70s. They settled there because that was the one place where they could find work and they found work in an orchard. Mm. So my, my brother and I literally grew up on an orchard. When parents didn't have daycare, they had us in an apple bin while they'd be working. And then my parents eventually saved up enough money to buy their own orchard and, and expand the business from there. So that was my childhood. It was really growing up on an orchard, which was amazing because I spent a lot of my time outdoors, a lot of my time with nature, and a lot of my time by myself. Sometimes I'd be out there all day in the orchard by myself with no one, no one around, except for my own thoughts. So it was a, an unusual upbringing from that perspective, but great. I wouldn't change it for the world. And then just like typical parents, my parents uh, said, you know, we immigrated to this country so you guys could have a better life. My brother and I have a younger brother. And they told us to go down the academic path. And that's kind of where I went down and uh, kind of went from there into the corporate world, as you were talking about. But I, I, was, I was raised in an interesting household from the perspective of my background is also Indian. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up with traditional, you can say, Indian cultural values, where there's specific gender roles uh-huh. uh, and differences in genders, which actually worked out well for us because it was great from that perspective. I also saw the challenges that came along with certain cultural differences as well. I saw challenges that my parents faced having their uh, relationship. I and my dad being a business owner and my mom being business owner as well, but it's mainly my dad and the challenges he had being a business owner, trying to be the head of a household and being challenged with fulfillment his entire life. And he also struggled with alcoholism. Mm. And so I saw this different dynamic of, of people and especially men. And then I also had a grandfather. My grandparents immigrated over from India and my grandfather was a very spiritual man. And his father. So my great-grandfather was a spiritual teacher in India. And I just found out actually from my mom that uh, I thought it was 50 years, but she said closer to 60 years. Wow. He was a spiritual teacher in India for closer to close to 60 years. And my, my grandfather also had a military background. He's in the military for 30 plus years, plus a spiritual background. And he taught me a lot. So I grew up learning about spirituality, but also war principles, what it, what it means to be a man. My grandfather was an amazing person. My dad was an amazing person, um, but I saw a lot more challenges with my dad. And that kind of stemmed me to where I am today, where I work a lot with men, because I see the challenges men face, and it's a firsthand, you can say, experience through my upbringing and what my dad went through, because eventually I saw my dad, and he struggled with alcoholism as long as I could remember was he a functional alcoholic or oh yeah yeah totally functional like he would work for he was the hardest working man i know he'd work he built a successful business um took very uh, a lot of pride in it but when he drank sometimes he drank past his limits and he became a different man and he became a man that you could see that there was some pain that there was anger in him and he was a big dude he was a big guy and if he got angry when he was drinking you didn't want to be around him it was a scary thing as a kid. But when he was sober, it was like, you know, my dad's Superman. Yeah. And so I saw this, I had this love-hate relationship with my dad and I didn't know how to deal with it. And I had to learn how to deal with it because it was almost like being raised by two different people. Yeah. And that really, I, and I started to learn psychology actually at a very young age because I was always trying to figure out when my dad would drink. 
and what his mood was like to see how much he would actually drink. And so I got to the point where I could tell that he was going to have alcohol probably before he did. And because I would just watch his mannerisms and I would tell my mom, I'm like, he's going to drink. And I can tell, you know, probably within the next hour or so. She's like, no, he's not going to drink. I could, And he would. And he, that, that was just challenging for everybody in the household. Yeah, right. My dad was a great guy, but then he just struggled with this. And then his goal was to hit 65 because he came from India. He had literally, I think he $7 in his pocket and he built a successful business after he never struggled with money, but he always struggled with fulfillment. And 65 was going to be the, the pension age, right? So that was kind of, that's like a milestone for a lot of immigrants in Canada is it's, you know, you came to this country and then you get pension from the government, which is kind of like a stamp to say you did it. And what ended up happening though, was he drank so much, his alcohol consumption basically accelerated his diabetes, which led to his heart disease. And, and he died at 64 and a half oh. from a sudden heart attack. Wow. So six months before, and we had everything planned after his retirement, we were going to do a family trips, my parents, my brother's family, my, our family, and it just kind of fell short. And I'd like to say that this is something that is unusual, but it's not. Yeah. Because, and, and we work with a lot of men and have, I would say, eight or nine out of 10 guys struggle in some way, shape, or form in their life. And I'm not just, I'm, I'm not just saying, you know, just average struggle, like significant struggling yeah. uh, with something in their life, whether it's addictions, their relationship, not feeling good enough, challenge in terms of, we'll probably get into a masculinity. All of these kinds of things that impact them. So it's, I've kind of made it my mission because I, I firmly believe that when you have a strong man in the household, that you're able to raise happier and healthier children. Especially in the US, what we're seeing right now is over 50% of children are being raised without full-time fathers. It's having a massive impact on the family unit, and it's an epidemic. For sure. You know, we'll definitely get into that, but I want to go back just a tiny bit on emulation. You know, usually our personalities are an attempt to either emulate or rebel against one or both of our parents. Which of your parents would you say had the most influence on you and why and in what way? Both parents. Mm -hmm. Both parents, I would say equally, maybe slightly more my dad because, uh, because of seeing my dad's challenges, I've made it my life's mission to do what I do. That's my passion. That's my purpose is to help other people. And my dad was a very chill guy, a very loving man, also at times stoic, and I don't think people really understand what stoic means, but he was an ex-police officer too in India. And so he was a very masculine man. So when he was sober, he was like, you could feel his presence when he walked into the room. And people still talk about my dad to this day. He, well, he only passed away three years ago, but just the presence he had, very well-statured man. He had a turban. So he was just very well put together. But on the flip side, he was also very emotional. You know, he wasn't afraid to show that he cared. He wasn't afraid to show that he was sad. He would cry openly and show his emotional side. And he taught me that it was okay to do that as a man because I never thought that my dad wasn't manly at all when he did that just because of who he was. So I got that side from my dad uh, and, and living life to the fullest, I think. And one of the other things that I've am coming more to the realization of is that my dad had a lot of passion in him, but he wasn't able to find that outlet. Hmm. And he wasn't able to find, because he just didn't have the education, Western education. He's, he was challenged with raising a family and feeding his family back home in India, like his parents mm -hmm. sent money back. 
So he didn't get the opportunity to live out his life hmm. the way I think he wanted to. And he had passion. And I, and, I, and I feel that passion in myself and some of the struggles. I'm on, on the flip side, my mom also went through a lot of challenges. Her dad passed away when she was eight years old. Her mom struggled with cancer and passed away three days after she got married to my dad. And so my mom was a, is a very strong woman. Physically, she worked a lot in the orchard. And she taught me a number of things. She was kind of anal as well. So she talked, uh, taught me how to do things well. So if I'm going to do something, put everything I have into it and do it well. Do it with precision, do it with accuracy. And so that, that was a good thing. And she taught me, she has this one saying that I say to my kids, which is basically, God gave you two hands and a brain. You might as well use them. Yeah. And, and, and so she taught me to be independent and do things for myself, which is great because in the typical Indian culture, what ends up happening is the boys get pampered. Parents do a lot of things for them. And what ends up happening is a lot of them get spoiled. They don't know how to do things. But we were kind of the reverse, where we ended up doing a lot of things for ourselves. I tell my kids that. I want my kids to learn how to do things themselves, even if they fail. So those are the two sides of, of my parents. My dad was very chill, very, he was a party animal, loved to connect with people. And my mom was very, you can say, task-oriented, very you know, precise in her way. Um, and she taught us to be very independent. So, I mean, usually your mom was an entrepreneur as well because she was working, right, at, in the orchard and your dad as well. Yep. We all know how difficult relationships are as an entrepreneur with a non-entrepreneur. Now you add another entrepreneur with their issues and, and struggles. How was that relationship like and what did you learn from it as a dynamic marriage uh, from two entrepreneurs? Well, I think for the most part, my parents had a good partnership when it came to the business because my dad managed the operations, my mom managed the administration. So that was okay. She did some work out in the orchard and, and, and with the other businesses that we have. But basically, it was administration. She spoke better English than my dad. Uh -huh. And my dad was just kind of the hardworking guy. So they had their different areas. And there were times where they didn't agree on decisions. But I think there was an understanding where if my dad wanted to do something, my mom had enough respect to say, okay, you know, he, and this is the Indian tradition that he's the head of the household, uh -huh. that it's okay for him to make that decision. So that was good because I believe that there needs to be, this is how social uh, status and social uh, us as human beings work. There, there's a level of hierarchy and not to say men are better than women or women are better than men, but in family units, there's a social hierarchy that's important. And ours, that was, that was healthy from that standpoint. There were times, I think, the type of business that we were in is in agriculture is very seasonal, but it's, and we lived on the orchard as well. And so it became, it's not like you go to the office and you come back, right? You're there 24 seven. So okay. you're immersed in it all the time. Because there are times where we'd go out at 10 o'clock at night and have to do something in the orchard. So that, the work-life balance wasn't, I would say, it's not that it wasn't there. It was different, but it was also awesome because having an orchard, having an outdoor business is good for the health. Like I, I would say we were extremely lucky to have this type of a business because we were outdoors a lot. We were physically healthy. Uh, emotionally, we were able to go out and just disconnect from everything else and just be out in the orchard. And there's something to be said about that, just doing physical labor and not having to, you know, your brain isn't going on overdrive all the time. Yeah. 
So from that perspective, it was good. My parents had a good understanding and dynamic. Nice. So you went to get an education and then you were thrown into the corporate world. Tell us a little bit of just really quickly about your experience in corporate and, and what was the disillusion there? What, what forced you to, to get out and be your own, you know, your own boss, your own man? Yeah, so I, I the corporate world was fun in a way. I was in the corporate world for 14 years, and I took it as I take everything as a challenge. And my goal was to be a CEO of a major corporation, and that was what I had strategically planned out. So I had moved basically led every major division because I want to be the best. When I do something, I want to be the best at it. So I led marketing, sales, operations, all basically every single aspect of business, so I could be the most well-rounded CEO. Yep. What ended up happening though was I actually, it just be, didn't become a challenge anymore because as I noticed, as I, because we'll get into this, my big focus is on using your brain and using it to the full potential. I've been obsessed with human potential since I was like 15 years old mm-hmm. and studying neuroscience and how the brain operates. And I could easily outperform my colleagues and have different kinds of conversations and it just didn't become fun anymore. But the biggest thing about the corporate world for me was the misalignment of values mm. because I w- truly wanted to serve our clients. I truly wanted to serve our employees. But when we were making decisions around the corporate table, I could see people were just talking out of one side of their mouth and, and thinking something else. And it was just such a turnoff when people would backdoor people and have these politics for self, basically self-interest, which we all have. But I think in the corporate world, it's, and I think everybody knows this, but not everybody talks about it. Yeah. Right. And the values are there. It's just the stuff that they put up on the walls. Not every organization. No, most of them, most of them are. And it's, and it's a lot has to do with culture and yeah. in the corporate world with this, which is why I, I left as well and started my own thing because I could not find a culture that I was happy with. And I didn't, I never liked coming to work because of the politics behind it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it just didn't become, it wasn't fun anymore because again, the politics, uh, and I learned the hard way because I wasn't very good at politics before. I was good at performance. I was a strategy guy. I was the execution guy. But when it be- came to uh, politics, and this is one of my, one of my mentors and I have to, I have to give him a lot of credit because he taught me a lot. He was probably, he is probably still to this day, one of the most effective influencers I know. Hmm. Because he could literally, I tell people, he could he could basically swear at you, punch you in the face, and you'd walk out of his office with a smile. And who is this person? Uh, his his name is Jim. Uh, him and I actually we haven't touched base for a long time, but basically he he was just a, an everyday person that just understood people, and he he learned it through experience. And so what ended up happening was I learned the the you could say the negotiation side, the politics side, just basically to get through the pol- the corporate world. But it wasn't fun for me. And that wasn't what I really wanted to thrive in. Mm-hmm. And so, long story short, when the time came to pull the trigger, because I'd built my skills up to say, okay, I'm, I, I had a few select organizations that I wanted to be a CEO of. And when that time came, though, I was just, I was done. I literally, I, I think it was around winter at December. And I told my wife, I said, I'm, I'm quitting. Mm-hmm. I'm leaving the corporate world. And she said, what <laughs> is going on? <laughs> like, what's happening? Were you scared? I, I was excited at first. I was scared after I made the decision. The logical brain um, kicked in after the emotional yeah, brain. I, 
Yeah, I was scared after, definitely after uh, after a couple of weeks because I was like, holy crap, did I just throw everything I, I've been working for for the last 14 years away? Yep. And I literally just walked into work and I, and I talked to um, my CEO and I basically said, I'm done. I'm out of here. Picked up my bags the same, same day. And, but this was a really telling sign for me because it was almost like, how do I say it? They didn't really care. Yeah. Yeah. Just simply put, they didn't really care. It was just like, okay, see you later. And and they, I think they felt like I had betrayed them as well. And then a number of the people that I thought were my good colleagues and good friends didn't even reach out. And I just, that was a telling sign for me because I said, okay, that's, that's a good sign. I need to continue going forward. I didn't burn any bridges, but it seems like they were burned for me. So that was good because I just continued to move forward. Yeah. I just had some chills running down my back because it was the same for me. And I'm sure a lot of listeners would um would have empathy towards that because the the reality is when you try to leave the corporate world they don't get it uh they feel like it's you're stabbing them in the back and it's almost like they don't care it's that feeling of okay we'll just get another person to come by and 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 deal with with the situation so all right so now you're 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 done with corporate let's move on so we can understand your passion on helping entrepreneurs especially the guys out there so I think the first question I want to ask, and we spoke a little bit about this earlier, is why are you only focused on men? I mean, there's, there's got to be tools that you've got for women, but why are you only focused on men? So uh, just to answer that question, so we have two sides of the business. We do have, uh, so we have our business called Business Brothers. My brother is a part of that. He's a partner in that. And we do help women from that perspective as well. We, we work mainly with family businesses. Mm-hmm. But the one that I'm passionate about that I spend more time in is the complete man, which is the business that is focused, the advisory side that's focused for men. And why is that? It is because I spent my entire life studying human behavior and specifically, and with women too, because I'm a big fan of relationships and having a passionate relationship and parenting. But I'm a guy. And I've lived the challenges of being a guy and having relationships that have worked and not worked and the social pressures on men and the confusion, especially in today's age, of what it means to be a man. And I was lucky enough to have good mentors along the way that taught me about masculinity, that taught me about spirituality. So the spirituality behind masculinity and femininity of the energies behind it. So I had this knowledge that was backing it up and through experience. Long story short, I used myself as a test subject since I was, you know, 15 years old in terms of trying different ways of approaching life. And it's worked well. And then I I added on the neuroscience aspect and the neuropsychology and performance psychology. So basically, and we work with enough men now that we have created a, a holistic program for men to achieve success in all areas of their life, from business to relationships to fatherhood to their personal. And you talked about self love. Yeah. Uh, this is not a word uh, that or two, you know, words that men use very often. Oh yeah, we'll get to that for sure. Yeah, but basically, it's it's I would say through my personal experiences, through the studies, through the academic work that I've done, and the sheer you can say need out there, because there's a lot of groups and advisory services for women, very few for men, and the ones that are out there for men are very specific. They're not holistic. Yeah. And because they don't incorporate the different aspects um, 
of what it means to be a man. And that's what we brought into the work that we do. Yeah, you speak of two terms, and I, I want to address both of them. The first one is alpha male. What is an mm-hmm. alpha male? I mean, is this a, a Neanderthal running around? Like, what, what, is an, what, what is an alpha male? Yeah, so what I actually say is, it's specifically, it's a term that we use, it's called a mindful alpha male. And it's very important to make sure that we understand what this means. The term alpha male has been mis- misconstrued totally. If you take a look at the alpha, it is the first letter of the Greek alphabet, mm-hmm. alphabet meaning it's the beginning, it's the origin. And so, every man needs to be the creator of his destiny. And that is where alpha male comes from, is the being the creator. Because if you're not the creator, you are dealing with the circumstances that are given to you. And normally those aren't great. And you get the leftovers or you become a follower, which in certain aspects, that's okay. But you don't want to be a follower of your life because someone is creating it for you. And alpha male, when we think about it, a lot of people think of the male wolf, right? And they think of aggression. They think of this wolf that is terrorizing other wolves. That's not exactly it. The The basic duty of the alpha male is to preserve the health of the pack. So, an alpha male will put his life on the line for those he loves, for those he is responsible for. So, you're a protector of the people around you as well. It's nothing to do with aggression. The other side, ma- being mindful is important because that balances out the alpha male side. Being mindful just means that you are aware of what you are doing at this moment and the potential ripple effect throughout generations or time. So if you make a decision today as a man, what is the impact it's going to have on you, the people around you, your family, your kids, and the potential generations that are coming forward because how you behave today has an impact generationally. My great-grandfather has had a major impact because I've taken his teachings. Yep his spiritual teachings and applied them to the work I do. So, all of these things have an impact. So, the Buddhists have a saying where, you know, you make a decision thinking or based on the fact that it could have a ripple effect throughout the universe, but also be comical enough and humorous enough to actually believe that it's actually going to have an impact. So, it's being mindful of your decisions, but not taking it so seriously as well. So, that's the combination. It's a dichotomy of being able to work on both spectrums of being mindful and taking charge. You know, it's funny, as you were mentioning it, I was thinking of the hero's journey because hero actually means protector. So alpha male is the hero in the hero's journey, in a sense, because he's Mm -hmm. the protector of others that he needs to bring back the boons for, in a sense, you know? So that's, uh, that's interesting. So the other term that you use a lot is toxic masculinity. So Let's talk about toxic masculinity. <laughs> what is it, and are you for it or against it, and why? Well, I don't. I personally avoid the term completely because I don't believe it's relevant, and I think it's misconstrued. I think when people say toxic masculinity, I think they don't understand what masculinity is. They don't understand it from a social perspective, and they don't understand it from a biological perspective. And it's just like saying toxic femininity. It's just it just sounds silly to me. So masculinity is a great thing if we embrace it. If and if, for example, when someone thinks of a, a an abuser, sexual abuser, they think toxic masculinity. No, that's not it. That just means that someone that is doing this behavior has values or has some internal challenges, some anger, or sadness, or something that they're dealing with. It's nothing to do with masculinity. It's a lot to do with how they, you know how they've been brought up in their belief systems. 
So masculinity, I believe most people don't understand the term. So toxic masculinity, I think people are just, I, I think it's a term that that people are just throwing ar- around there. And I don't think it's a healthy term. Uh, it, it was very prominent a few years ago. I think it's starting to die out now. And here's why is because we actually, we indirectly do a lot of work with women, right? So we have our counterparts that work specifically with women or with couples. And we, our organization does a lot of work with other organizations and universities as well. So we partner up with universities in Canada and the US when it comes to these types of neuroscience studies. And what we've noticed is a lot of women are standing up and saying, that's just stupid. That's just silly too. Like, if you really understand what masculinity is, you wouldn't calling it toxic. So, there's a lot of women that are tired of men being bashed as well. And for two reasons, A, because they're just tired of seeing it. And B, because there's a lot of younger women now that are having challenges, and even older women, mature women, they're having challenges finding men that they're attracted to Mm. because the masculinity has almost been beaten out of us. Yeah. It's like men don't know how to be masculine anymore in a sense. No, it's it's like if you take a a tiger and you turn it into a house cat, a pet, well, it just loses its its whole essence. Yeah. Right? And, And that's what is happening with this whole movement. I think it's having a very detrimental impact and we're seeing that right now. Because I, like I've mentioned, I have several colleagues who work specifically with women, especially women in the 30s now, they're saying they can't find men they're attracted to, and therefore they're not able to find partners and get into a relationship with men that they want to get into a long-term relationship with. That's really interesting. And that and the term stemmed from the feminist you know, movement of the 60s and, 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 and 70s, right? Is that where, where it came from? Well, I don't, I don't know if it necessarily came from that because the feminist movement back from the 60s and 70s, I think has, has morphed and I think it's become a lot more mindful. That movement was needed because women were obviously being suppressed and, and mistreated. And a lot of the previous feminist movements, and there's, there's some women that are actually therapists and neuroscientists that have actually switched who were previous uh, neuro uh, feminists who said that that whole movement was false based on the new science that has come out now. And so, this toxic masculinity, I think it came around after the Me Too movement. And I think it's a result of the Me Too movement. Uh, so, that is, I think, just a subset of that. I don't think it's necessarily from the feminist movement. I think it's more from the Me Too. Got it. Well, that's very interesting. So, uh, we could talk about these movements for, for a while, but, but I really want to touch upon the first hat, what I call the golden hat. So let's discuss self-love, mindset, our why. And in my opinion, that's kind of the cornerstone for success as an entrepreneur. But so many of us neglect this, right? I previously interviewed Sean Wells. He is known as the world's uh, best formulator for vitamins and, and supplements, but he's just an all-around health and wellness guy. And he said the following, I thought that the way that I achieve my greatness is by sacrificing myself. And that's what a good person does, is sacrifice. I didn't realize that your cup needs to be overflowing and the people around you get the overflow from your cup instead of taking it from your cup. And that's where self-care is so important. So what's your story on self-love, self-care, mindset? What have you learned from your experiences being an entrepreneur that can help the seven hatters? 
Wow. I, I think self-love is absolutely important because there's an old saying, you can't give to someone else very similar to, to what you were talking about, what you don't have inside of you. Yep. Uh, and our, the, I'm not a very religious person, but from the spiritual perspective of how I grew up was this concept of Simran in the Sikh religion, which means everything within us or everything we need is within us. And that's a very important thing. And I don't know when I realized that. And I probably didn't realize that until I was in my 30s, mm. I think, when I realized that, hey, I can be happy with myself. And it really came down to the character of the person in terms of who I am as a man. And that's why I talk about being the complete man, because it really stems from inside. It stems from, are you proud of the person you are? Not that you're perfect. I'm not perfect. I continue to grow as an individual. And now it's fun. Because now it's like, hmm, what part of me can I actually advance? Yeah. Can I evolve? And so I'm 100% proud of the man I am. There are moments when I don't act the way I want to. For example, sometimes I'll yell at my kids and be like, ah, I probably shouldn't <laughs> have done that, right? That's just being human though. So when it comes to self-love, especially when it comes to mindset, mindset, I, I think there's so many different aspects to mindset because it's ultimately about your state. Right. And state has a lot to do with more than just your mind. It includes your body and includes your spirit as well. Because if you can have a great mindset, but if you're physically not healthy, yep. you're going to be challenged. If you're spiritually not healthy, you're going to be challenged. But if you do focus on yourself and you said something else by giving to others, you know, I felt like I was being, you know, this, this person, us as men specifically, we do that a lot. We do this, we will sacrifice ourselves to the very end and burn ourselves out before we think of this concept of self-love. Yep. It's dangerous for men. And because I've worked with men, I've worked with men who ha have tried to commit suicide. I've worked with men who have had strokes, heart attacks, um, who have suffered challenges, physical ailments, anxiety, for example, that they haven't been able to come back from. So I always say, and this is my, this is my personal belief, and I encourage other men to have this belief as well, if you take care of yourself, you can take care of other people. I do not negotiate on my morning routines, on my daily routines, like working out, eating healthy, meditation, all these practices I have to feel 100% myself. Because if I don't feel 100% myself, I can't give 100% to my clients, to my employees, to you know my business partners, to other people around me, to my kids, to my wife. And it's very, very important. We've become a very achievement-focused society. And that is a challenge. That is a significant challenge. Not that achievement isn't important because it is one of the main things that we get fulfillment from is achieving things. But when we continue to chase achievement and forget about the self-love aspect, that's when things become dangerous. And we're very prone to that as men. And that's why it's the number one hat. That's why it's the golden hat because without self-love, nothing is really achievable to greatness. You know, it's funny, you mentioned that we... As entrepreneurs, I'll even just go as entrepreneurs at this point. We'll do whatever it takes to run our companies and, and succeed or do everything that is for others except for our, instead of ourselves. So when you're looking at health, fitness, sleep, we all know that us entrepreneurs say, well, I'll, I'll do it on Monday. And <laughs> Monday comes and goes. What's your take on this subject? And how do we get up and get it done, right? What are the steps? Because a lot of times you might say, hey, I have a morning routine. I have a certain routine. Then work gets in the way. How do you get back? How do you stay consistent or at least start a routine 
that gets you towards self-love, towards, you know, workout, exercise, things of that nature that help fill your soul? Well, the first thing is to really understand and have the belief. A lot of the reason why a lot of people don't do this is because they have a belief that that having being healthy or doing exercise isn't going to help their performance, isn't going to help them achieve more because they prioritized achievement over health. So having the right priorities is important and that comes from being very aligned with your value system and goals. So if you have the right goals, if you have the right value system, and you understand what health can do for you, because there's a lot of neuroscience and neurobiology behind this. Actually, my wife is what I call, I call her a biohacker. Nice. Um, she's part of our organization because I get all my health advice from her because she knows functional medicine. Like She can tell me what to eat, what not to eat, vitamins, all this kind of stuff that make me feel better about sleep, all these kinds of things, because I'm always about optimal performance. Your, your physical health and your sleep have a significant impact Absolutely. on your cognitive abilities and your level of being able to be an effective entrepreneur. If people believe that, they're going to be more likely to do that. Now, there's a concept, you know, this the term yoga, mm-hmm. right? We th- Traditionally, we think of this discipline of stretching and stuff. The actual term yoga is an Indian term, a Sanskrit term for yuj, which means to bind. Mm-hmm. And what that means is it's a discipline. When you when you do something, when you create a discipline of something, and it ultimately becomes a part of you, then you have true freedom. Yep. Because when it becomes a part of you, it's no longer, hey, I have to schedule this. It's just a part of you. If I don't work out tomorrow, I'm not going to feel like myself. I'm not going to feel like, I, I feel like something is missing. That's how you ultimately create a routine. But you, you need to start off small. If someone hasn't gone to the gym, if someone hasn't isn't used to eating healthy, you start off small, right? Go to the gym for 10 minutes. It's about creating that first action step. It's a simple, minute thing. But here's the other aspect that we don't take into consideration it is the social environment. Hang out with people that you want to be like when it comes to, if you want to hang out with people who, if you want to be healthy, hang out with other people, healthy people. Yep. If you want to be fit, hang out with other fit people. That is a core, simple strategy to use because our social circle and how we make decisions, social influence has a massive impact on our decision-making, massive. And so if we surround ourselves with people who have the habits that we want to have, we're going to naturally feel that pressure and influence, which is a good thing if it's a good habit that we want to put into place. And so these small things are are things that we can start to test out and try in order to be able to build these habits. It, and ultimately, what this really comes down to is energy. You can accomplish anything if you have enough energy to do so, right? We are an energy-based being. Yep. So, spiritual energy, but also chemical and physical uh, and electrical energy. If we're low on energy, it's going to be tougher for us to go to the gym. That's another reason, for example, people are like, I'm just too tired. Well, if you actually worked out and ate healthy, you would actually have It's more. a cycle. Yeah. It's a cycle, right? So all of these things have an impact. And that's why when the work that we do with men, we've brought it all together from a holistic aspect. We brought it all together to show men what the complete cycle looks like because we've systematized it. And there's hundred something, 137 points that we have where if someone says that they're missing something, we can easily identify what area that they're challenged in and how to address it. 
It's like doing a diagnostic. And we spent the last six years working with universities on this diagnostic. But it really comes down to what you were talking about, which is having the discipline. And that can be built with time. And it affects everything. It really does. I mean, especially, it's not just your business because it's so tied into your business as well. I think that's the one thing that entrepreneurs will focus on when we say, if you don't have the right mindset, if you don't work out, if you don't get enough sleep, if you eat crappy, your business will suffer. And I've seen that in my first company, which is why I created the Seven Hats, because it wasn't enough to just spend 120-hour weeks in focusing on the business. It never got me the success that I'm getting now by being more holistic, more uh, paying attention to other aspects of my life. So you clearly believe that males are very different than women, right? But what similarities are there? And, and how does that view square with modern ideas of gender egalitarianism or the doctrine that says that all people are equal and deserve equal rights and opportunities? How, what's your take on that? Well, I think, I think there's a difference between equality and being equal or equity, for example. I think men and women need to be treated. Uh, the same or whatever sex you are and whatever your sexual preference is i don't think that should be taken into consideration to say you're a woman so this is the only thing you can do and you can't be a corporate leader or whoever it is Um, i think that's silly but traditionally that was done you know in your parents age and your grandparents age right in different countries that's kind of the norm yeah yeah in different countries but from a gender perspective so when it comes to families for example when it comes to, hey, men are being, like, I firmly say to men, you know, if you feel like you need to be the head of the household, then that's what you need to do because that's part of the masculine energy. We are the leaders. We step forward. We put ourselves in danger first because that's our energy. That's what gives us a drive. That's what testosterone is really about, that protection, right? And so, when we suppress that and subdue that, we actually take away that drive. So, and I come across a lot of guys who feel like this. They they may not be or feel like the leaders of their household, and that takes away the drive in entrepreneurship. Mm. So it's important for us to understand that aspect. And there is a difference in terms of how men lead versus how women need or lead, for example. There's the, the feminine is more, for example, um, about collectiveness, about the emotional side, where men are more task driven, for example. Not that women aren't, but it's all about different, you know, everybody is different on the spectrum. But on the flip side, in terms of how we are uh, similar, we are very much similar. You know, there is a large part of our DNA, a large part of our body structure that is very similar, uh, meaning that men need affection as well. Like we, people say, well, men are kind of cold. They don't need affection. They don't feel, no, that's complete opposite. If you take, talk to guys who are fully in tune with who they are, they, you know, they'll be open about their affection, their needs, um, and, and how they feel emotionally. So, from that perspective, men do have that need as well. And we, um, in, in terms of other similarities, you know, we want to be in an affectionate relationship. We want to be in a passionate relationship with our spouses. Um, and, and so, I don't think there's a big difference from that perspective. But there are distinct, if we take a look at the neurobiology of men and women, there are big differences from a hormonal level. Like, we can have 100 times more testosterone than women. 
and testosterone is is linked to aggression. Yep. So men are naturally a little bit more aggressive. And so people need to understand that. There's there's a lot of studies that have have been done on men when it comes to emotional expression. And it's not that men don't feel. It's that there's a part of our brain that just it's like a tripwire that as soon as we feel something, we need to figure out how to fix it. And so we go into that fixing mode a lot faster than women do. There's another thing too for men, for example, the the theory is and it's been studied and and there's no you can say finality to this but what they've said is men don't show as much facial expressions or emotions on their face expressions because of evolutionary traits for example a hundred thousand years ago if i showed fear on my face coming up against you in the middle of nowhere and we're enemies well you're going to see that weakness and take advantage of it and so these things we've evolved into these types of behaviors some of them are effective. Some of them are not so effective for today's society, but that is part of who we are. It's part of our biology and we can use it to our advantage. Have have women approached you in the past and asked you how they should act as an entrepreneur in a, because it is a male dominated, you know, world in a sense. And I think women are a little confused because on one hand, vulnerability, uh, Byron Katie speaks about that a lot, is very powerful. Uh, that strength is really important. And a lot of guys don't get that and they should, but, and women have that easily. Right. And, but, but how do they approach this world from, because more and more women are now becoming entrepreneurs. Do you get those questions and what would you, how would you answer that question? Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, this is a lot of the work that some of my colleagues do specifically with women. And I, we get this question quite often. If we take a look at the differences between feminine and masculine energy, the most effective entrepreneurs that I've come across, female entrepreneurs and executives, are the ones that use more of their feminine energy. Hmm. And here is why. And this is my theory, but this is based on science as well, is that when men are up against other men or masculine energy, there's resistance. There's always this how you know i'm sizing up the other guy where do i fit on the totem pole so if a woman comes up to a man with aggressive behaviors it's going to be a battle Mm. because our natural tendency is not to back down i always tell you know and my wife knows this uh, if you want to get the best of a man and influence him use your feminine energy because a man will literally melt from that Yep. There's times, obviously, you have to hold your ground and you know you have to use different uh, methods and you may have to be a little bit more, let's just say, task-oriented or even aggressive, but that's okay. But if you really want to be able to influence the masculine energy, it's to use the feminine side. It's the gracefulness. It's the soft side, right? It's the loving side because men will eventually, they may not react to it immediately, but eventually they will. Here you go, women. This is how you get a man to do what you want. <laughs> the <laughs> magic melt, trick. Melt, melt, melt them away with, with, with kindness and vulnerability. I love that. Mm-hmm. So your great-grandfather, as we discussed, and your grandfather was a spiritual teacher in India. How did that affect your viewpoint on the world? And how important is spirituality, not only for you, but for an entrepreneur as well? Okay, so the first question in terms of my great grandfather who taught my grandfather who taught me, 
I was lucky enough to learn from him. And he was a very, uh, just as I mentioned, just an amazing man. I've ne- I never saw him get upset. I always saw him have a way with people and people respected him. He's probably the most well-respected man I know. He's no longer around, but people just completely respected him. And he was able to influence other people. He was able to to have presence with other people just with his spiritual side. And so, it taught me a lot. So, I started meditating at a very young age. So, that gave me a different perspective on the world as well. And I learned things at that point in terms of the universe, consciousness, um, and, and how to achieve. Like, how do you really live up to your potential? I'm a firm believer that meditation and visualiza- visualizations yep. and mindfulness are three elements to use to be able to unlock your potential. So, I was very fortunate to learn that and be able to do things at a young age that other people weren't able to do. And it's not that I was special. It's just because I just learned these practices and techniques that are available to every single person today. Uh, It's a lot more mainstream now than it was 30 years ago. So, uh, I believe that it's very important for every entrepreneur to use uh, spirituality. And that could be whatever it means for you. That it could be religion-based, faith-based, whatever it is, meditation, whatever it is. But it is important because you can unlock things that you cannot unlock just by getting up and going to work and doing your everyday entrepreneurial uh, thing. Because that is very narrowly focused. You have to be able to broaden your scope. And we teach creativity. We teach innovation. We teach people how to learn rapidly at a very fast pace based on the practices that we have. And, And spiritual practices and scientific practices or scientific research are intertwining now. They have been within the last five to 10 years where they've shown now the benefits of meditation, for example, and these phenomenal effects that it has on people's brains. So, if you want to be more creative... Spiritual practices are a great way to t- tap into that. So I firmly believe that that spirit, and and I can't remember where I read this, but I've held it with me for a very long time. Is if you do something without spirit, it is only temporary. Mm. If you do something with spirit, it will be forever with you. Yep, because spirit is eternal. Yeah, that's and that's the difference between be living in a dualistic world. And I'll tell you that. When I go into nature, when I meditate, or just stay in silence, when I'm more mindful, creativity just it's just so easy to you know to cat to tap into. When I'm tired, when I don't you know take care of myself, when I'm eating like crap, when I stop exercising for a few weeks, you know because of whatever reasons such as last couple of weeks you know <laughs> i got covid and then you know then the family came over and there's good food and you just you, you get into this whole groove that's the opposite of where you were right and getting back to that previous groove is so hard you know my dad i used to play violin when i was from 4 to 12 and my oh, dad cool. and my dad said if you don't practice one day no one will notice if you don't practice two days, you will notice. If you don't practice three days, everyone will notice. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and you take that as an analogy towards, you know, if you mess around one day, you eat bad food, you know, you don't work out, nothing's going to happen. You do it for two or three days, four days, you're going to feel it. You're going to see a marked difference between 
your old routine and where you are right now. But if you don't do it for about two weeks, three weeks or longer, you're just back and you're going to have to start it all over again because everyone's going to notice, including yourself. And so I think it's your discussion points were so poignant to this into this time period where so many entrepreneurs are beginning their journey, right? And mm -hmm. they're either leaving corporate, as you can tell, it's happening a lot these days, and they're starting their own thing, uh, especially with lockdowns. I think your advice and, and your commentary is going to help them at least understand, and I, hopefully the seven hats as well, help them understand that it's more than just grind. It's more than just grind. You will never find fulfillment by grinding your way to a fortune because then that paper is really just paper. It has no meaning. But if you figure out the rest of your categories of life or the other aspects of your life, you will find true fulfillment in your relationships, in your finances, in your self-worth, in your just happiness. And that's where it comes down to. So I have in my final segment, I always like to close out my interviews with the following question. I can't wait to hear this from you. Who did you have to stop being and who did you need to become to manifest your current success? Well, I think I had to stop being what I thought everybody else wanted me to be. Mm. And that was the biggest thing because I had, I know who I am now. Um, and I know who I want to be because I continue to evolve. But when I let go of the expectations of other people to be a good son or to be, you know, a doctor at some point, my parents wanted me to be, you know, to be all these different things for other people and realize what my true strengths were and my true passion was and my true meaning and what I really wanted to do in my interests, that's when I was able to really be who I wanted to be. And I felt, I feel so, when you, when a person does that, it feels so natural. It feels so good. Yeah. It feels like you, you get up every morning thinking, even if people, are, there's naysayers, there's always going to be that, there's always going to be challenges, but then you feel good about who you are. And that's what is so important to me today is I wake up every morning feeling good about who I am, regardless of the situations around me, whether my business is going well or not, or something didn't happen, or you know, one of my employees did this, or, you know, my son tells me that I'm a bad dad, whatever it is, uh, I still feel good about myself. Yes. Uh, and that to me is, is what life is really about. I love that so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So tell the seven hatters what you're currently up to, how they can connect with you, because I'm sure that um, they're all going to want to get a little more wisdom from, uh, from that brilliant brain of yours and all that experience <laughs> that you've had. Yeah, so it's um so the the simplest way to get a hold of me is you can reach me on most social media platforms, although I'm most active on LinkedIn, so it's at Pradeep Sangha. And I'm super ex excited because what we've done over the last six and a half years with with research, we've actually come together with a formula of unlocking basically your true potential, like a human being's true potential with all the aspects of life. And we're actually going to patent it uh, probably by the end of 2022. Wow. Yeah. And we're super excited because it's a lot of work and we're continuing to evolve it. But basically I'm excited about being able to help other people. And, and that's our biggest thing. And we do a lot of work with entrepreneurs, CEOs, because we feel that by helping 
people at that level and they become more successful, fulfilled, and better leaders, well, it's going to have a ripple effect through, through their employees, through their families. That's the easiest way for us to have the biggest impact. So that's what we're super excited about. And, and your website, how can they reach it's, you? Yeah, it's pradeepsanga.com. Pradeepsanga.com. Pradeep, it was such a pleasure having you on The Seven Hats. Thank you for making the time and sharing your wisdom. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. This was a great conversation. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Pradeep. Let's end today with a segment of the show that I refer to as, What Can We Hang Our Hat On? And here's my takeaway. I loved how Pradeep challenged every man to be the creator of his destiny. Not a tyrant, but a person in charge. A person who, in an unpredictable world, owns their actions. A person who does not leave their destiny in someone else's hands. Since the days of our ancestors, the leader of the tribe has taken care of its members. This is an idea that resonates with me. In the years leading up to 2010, I was a follower and allowed others to determine my destiny. And then, one day, I found myself on the brink of losing it all. In that moment, I took full responsibility for my circumstances and stopped blaming the rest of the world for my ills. And for the first time in my life, I was able to protect my tribe. It has taken me a decade to develop my inner strengths and take charge of every aspect of my life to achieve the benefits I'm blessed to have in my life today. The journey towards being a protector of your life and the life of others is challenging, but extremely rewarding. As Pradeep states, it has the potential to ripple through generations. I wanted to thank Pradeep once again for joining me so that we can all benefit from his wisdom. And until next time, If you found this episode helpful, please hit that subscribe button and tell other entrepreneurs out there what value you receive from it so that we can attract even more high quality people into our Seven Hats community. So for now, I will bid you farewell and success on your journey. And until next time, my name is Yuval Selleck, and I tip my hat to you.